If you have your Bibles, could you take them and turn to 2 Chronicles 32? 2 Chronicles 32. There's some stories in the Bible we're very familiar with. If I say, you know, David and Goliath and Jonah and the whale are big fish to be more technical. And if I said, you know, Daniel in the lion's den or Joseph in the coat of many colors, we know those if you've grown up at church, in, in church much. But I doubt, I doubt we're uber familiar with, uh, with Hezekiah and the end of Second Chronicles. And yet in that story, I think it's a helpful word for us to to consider what it means to turn back to God. So really, that's been the the theme over the last several weeks. How can we in our hearts learn from this story of Hezekiah, maybe a, a, a passage of Scripture we're getting acquainted with or maybe reacquainted with, how can we learn what it means to turn our hearts back toward God? And so we've, we've looked at this, uh, kind of seeing how Hezekiah came clean with God in Second uh, Chronicles 29, and how Hezekiah fully with his whole heart was seeking the Lord. That's what scripture says in chapter 30 and 31. So today we're coming to Second Chronicles 32. We're going to pick up uh, reading there. And I've asked Allie Murray to come and read. She's going to read the first uh, several verses of this chapter, Second Chronicles 32. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside of the city, and they helped him. A great many people were gathered, and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up all the wall that was broken down and raised towers upon it. And outside it, he built another wall, and he strengthened the millow in the city of David. He also made weapons and shields in abundance, and he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Thank you, Ali, so much. The first several chapters of the story of Hezekiah's life, things are going really well. And every obstacle is being met. Every challenge is being overcome. Like if we were to put it in kind of business terms, Everything is moving up and to the right. It's all looking good. But then chapter 32, what Ali just read, marks the transition where things are not going so well, where there, there are real challenges to be faced. And in a moment, we'll talk more about Sennacherib and the Assyrians. But I want us to look again at verse 1 that, that she just read. And I really want to zero in on that first word of that verse. Because chapter 32, 1 says, after these things. So after what things? After everything was going really, really well for Hezekiah. After, after he'd made some serious decisions to turn the country, turn the nation, turn the people of Israel back to God. After those things, after these acts of faithfulness, then trouble comes. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. Again, we'll look at Sennacherib and the Assyrians in a moment. But as I read these verses, I'm reminded of something 
This kind of is where we're starting this morning. That we need to develop a category for struggles coming our way after a season of doing the right things. I'm just going to apologize in advance. Like the points are really long today. I tried to shorten them. I thought maybe just one or two words, but it just didn't work. So hopefully they'll leave them long enough for you to write them down if you're inclined to do so. But they're all going to be long. I promise. Uh, My apologies. We have to develop a category for struggles coming our way after a season of doing the right things. And I word it like that because I, I think my instinct, my impulse is to feel like, you know, if I make some decisions for God, I make a decision to do the right thing. I kind of come clean with God. I confess my sin. I try to do what's right. I make a commitment to him. I, I tend to think that that should warrant things going well. So I'm always surprised when something doesn't go well. I, I kind of think, well, what did I do? What did I do wrong to deserve this? Is God judging me? Is God trying to get my attention? Isn't this what we feel sometimes? I, I want to acknowledge that sometimes after we come clean with God, and after we make a deliberate decision to, to make Him a priority in our life, which some of you might have done even recently, something will go wrong and we'll be tested with some thoughts of whether it was really worth it. Been a Christian a long time, been a pastor a little while. And I can't tell you the number of times I've talked to someone who makes, like, comes back to the Lord or comes to the Lord and, and immediately their, their life blows up. And they ask these sorts of questions like, well, what? It seems like my life's gotten worse. What's, what's going on with that? I was just trying to, trying to do the right thing, and then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Reality sets in. I just, I, I want to confirm that's normal. There's a certain kind of teaching that kind of goes under the banner of, kind of flies as Christian teaching. A, a name for it, a label for it, would be the prosperity gospel. And I certainly believe God is... God wants the prosperous people. Just I think we have to define prosperity by an eternal framework and a spiritual framework. But often the prosperity gospel goes something like this. You know, if you, if you do all the right things, then God will give you more and more stuff. And often that's physical stuff and life will be easier. And it's kind of a softer version is God's always got your back and he'll never give you stuff you don't want. He'll always give you stuff you do want. And really, all you have to do is name it or claim it or say it or verbalize it, and it's yours. And then God takes us through times where, where we are confronted with the fact that that teaching is bunk. It's not true. It wasn't true for Jesus. It's not true for Paul. And it wasn't true for David. And it wasn't true for Daniel. I mean, we just go on and on and on. And I think we have to realize that sometimes after we come to the Lord, we will face difficult times. This is, and God does this for, for a variety of reasons. And, and I don't even pretend to know them all. I do know God, God refines my faith going through seasons, that my faith would not be in a place it is today if there weren't seasons of struggle. And God will deepen me and refine me and will bring me to places of repentance that I, I just wouldn't have been at if I hadn't gone through trials. And God loves us and God cares for us that he will very carefully take a battering ram to our wrong beliefs that we will have no problems in this life. Sometimes we look for fault 
Yeah, like, oh, whose fault was it that I'm dealing with this? And so sometimes we can certainly find, like, well, it's someone else's fault. I mean, Hezekiah could have looked at, you know, here's Sennacherib knocking on his door and could have said, you know, if my fathers would have just followed God, I wouldn't have been dealing with this. And there's a measure of truth. We are impacted. We don't bear the punishment for the sins of others, but, but we do feel the consequences of the sins of others. And so Hezekiah could, could see it that way. And, and certainly there's another account of this very story in 2 Kings where Hezekiah isn't perfect in this. So don't hear me say, like, be like Hezekiah. That's not the message today. But the message is learn from Hezekiah. You see, Hezekiah, before what we read in 2 Chronicles 32, before he will turn to the Lord and pray to the Lord, he tried to bribe the king of Assyria just to make him go away. Hezekiah isn't perfect in all of this. So is it his father's fault? Is it his, is it his fault? Or is it just life? I think it's just life. But Jesus has told us this, right? So our Lord and Savior said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will endure suffering. I mean, he, he told us this. He prepared us. Job, in the book of Job, says that life is short and full of trouble. Paul would say, all those who plan on living godly will suffer persecution. We need to hear that because you might, you might just have I don't wish this on anybody, but you might have a semester that is very, very tough. And it may come after a summer where you really have done business with the Lord, where you really have committed your life to him, where you really have gotten serious, not about your parents' faith, your faith, you've gotten serious. And then you walk into a semester and you deal with a roommate or a classmate or or a teacher or a a scenario where it's just uh, oppressive. and, And you wonder, what did I do? What did I do? We've got to have that category where Romans 8.28 becomes more than a cliche, where God really is working all things, all things, all things together for good. Do we know that? Do we believe that? I want us to see something else from this passage. I, I want us to have that category, develop that category, but, but I think also as we read, we need to realize that we want to say living for God, however you want to define that, living for God means that we do the next wise thing and we lean ultimately on God. This is a both and kind of thing, not an either or kind of thing. And and we don't do ourselves any good when we separate that out. So we ought to realize that living for God means doing the next wise thing or things And at the same time, we lean ultimately on him. Actions and faith, doing wise things, trusting in God. How does this unfold in this story? What Ali read is a a story that's not not a mere allegory. I think sometimes we live in such a distance from the, the, the real threat that Hezekiah felt. So Assyrians were pressing on them. Sennacherib was a brutal leader. And it's not a metaphorical Assyrian that they're dealing with. Hezekiah doesn't have that. It's the real deal. And they're pressing on him. And so maybe, maybe we live a distance from that. Maybe if we lived in Iraq or in Syria, we would feel the press uh, of a threat that 
that is like right at the city gates. I think we just need to acknowledge some of that. But, but even with that, I think we can learn a lot from this story even as we acknowledge that. I want us to see the wise actions that Hezekiah took. Verses 2 and 3, I think even verse 4 of the, of the chapter here. Hezekiah makes sure the, the water supply for the city of Jerusalem is in a good place. Well, he's the steward, he's the king, and once again, he's not dealing in metaphor or allegory. This will be critical for his people's survival. He's being a good steward, he's being a good king by making sure the water is going to be okay if, if there's a siege laid to the city. And then we read further, he repairs the walls, and, and there are even uh, archaeologists and, and excavations that, that can find the walls of Hezekiah's time, and, and they say they're seven meters thick. I mean, this was, this was wise to protect. I mean, in, a, in an era before there are laser-guided bombs that can be dropped thousands of miles away, your gates, your walls mean something. And so Hezekiah wisely defends his people. He is taking the wise actions. Then he grabs uh, weapons and shields, it says in verse 5, in abundance, and he organizes the army. This is wise. I mean, certainly there's a verse in Scripture that says, some trust in chariots, some trust in swords, but we will trust in the Lord. I think by the rest of this chapter, Hezekiah is doing that, but he is also wisely protecting his people. So we see he... He's acting wisely. He's doing the next wise thing. And though, as we read into verse 6, he gathers the people together. In verse 7, he says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. So while he's doing all these things, acting very wisely, he's also leaning totally on the Lord. He says, they have, a, they have human strength, an arm of flesh, but we have God on our side to help us. So he prepares, he He wisely acts and he trusts completely on the Lord. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. That's very familiar language in Scripture. That's exactly what Moses said to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 31. That's exactly what Joshua said to the people of Israel in Joshua 1. That's exactly what David said. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Hezekiah says, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. It's almost the exact words of Elisha in 2 Kings 6. The Lord's here to help. Let's put these things together. Have we learned this, that it's not an either or. We we do the next wise thing and we trust in the Lord. So trusting in the Lord does not equal doing nothing. We work, we serve, we obey, we pray, we listen, we worship. We wait on the Lord, but... But we wait even as we are running. We're, we're told to run the race that God has given us and to run it with patience. This is a good week, kind of a great illustration of that is on our mind from, from different things we perhaps have seen this past week. I, you watch especially long distance races in track and, and you watch a runner run with patience, waiting for the exact right move, waiting for the exact moment to, to make a charge to the front. They are running and they're waiting. They're waiting, but they're, they're waiting not at the starting line. Imagine how silly it would be. I'm, I'm waiting for the right move, but I'm just going to keep my feet planted here at the starting line. You see, that, that doesn't win you anything. That's very unwise to do. But as they're running, as they see 
life developing, as they see the, the track unfolding before them, as they see some runners giving out and some runners pressing forward, they, they know how to run strategically. What does it mean to do the next wise thing? How do you know what it, the next wise thing is? Well, God gives us just an ocean load of wisdom in his word. So we read it and we take it to heart and we pray, God, give me wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. He's not holding back in that category. He's willing to give it generously. And then we talk to other people who we discern are pretty wise. They seem to make wise decisions with their life. And so we talk and we, and we share with them, but we, but we listen and we read and we learn and we pay attention and God begins to develop wisdom in our lives. We make lists of like, and I don't know if you've ever done that, but sometimes the, the wisest thing you can do is make a list of pros and cons on making a certain decision. And it seems so foggy and you, you make the list and you, you think through it wisely. And is that like not trusting in the Lord? No, 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 no. It's trying to seek God's wisdom for that. And at the end of the day, we pray, not my will be done, but your will be done. Where are you in this tension of action and faith? Do you need to act wisely? Do you need to ultimately rely on the Lord? Do you sometimes wonder if that balance is off, that tension isn't quite right? I'd say that, that's why God gives you brothers and sisters in Christ to talk that through with them. To say, you know, I, I'm trying to trust in the Lord. Am I doing that? Can, can I just talk with you for a moment and kind of talk out where my heart is right now? It's immensely helpful to do that. Realize that living for God means doing the next wise thing and leaning ultimately on him. What happens next is very important. So Hezekiah is like, I mean, he steeled the resolve. He's ready to go. He's got the army equipped. He's prepared his people. And still he will be put to the test. You know what I would much prefer most often? is that God would just make every problem I ever have go away. No pressure, no stress, no challenge. All the people in my world act in ways that just make my life easier, not harder. They never say anything ridiculous. They never act in ways that are foolish. And everything is just done perfectly according to Curtis's will. But that, that doesn't happen. Doesn't happen for you, doesn't happen for me. So Hezekiah is ready And his faith is going to get put to the test. And in that, I think even as we read further into this chapter, I think we need to be able to discern some basic tactics that our enemy uses and intends to destroy our walk with God. So by that, I really do mean we have a spiritual enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. I really believe that. But Paul would say we're not ignorant of his strategies. We, we can see how he works. And I think we can even see a glimpse into that of how our enemy works and some of the tactics he uses. So as we dig into this story, you look at verse 9 and 10, and you get a, begin to get a glimpse of like, okay, what, what is Satan doing to, to attack? Um, and what are, what are some challenges to our hearts? So verse 9 Sennacherib, king of, Israel, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish with all its forces, sent servants, so these are emissaries, these are couriers, to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah, king of Judah. They come with a message to Hezekiah and all the people of Judah who are in Jerusalem. 
and, he, and, and this is the message. Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, on what are you trusting? Well, that's the question, right? That is the million-dollar question. On what are you trusting? Where is your trust? What are you relying on here? That you may endure the siege in Jerusalem. Then there is a discourse on why, who they're trusting in, uh, maybe a little shaky. So, so let's read it uh, in verse 11. Isn't Hezekiah misleading you? That he may give you over to die by famine or thirst when he tells you, well, the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria. Hasn't this same Hezekiah taken away the high places, the places of worship and altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem before one altar you shall worship and on it you shall burn sacrifices? As Sennacherib is giving this message, it gets confusing because certainly Hezekiah did take down places of worship. But the, but the issue was there was false worship going on in those places. So yes, he did down, take down the high places. But notice it gets twisted, and the, and the twist comes in this. I mean, what, what, has a, or what Sennacherib's really implying is, you know, maybe you really aren't in God's good graces anymore. Maybe you've, maybe you've messed up your relationship with him. Maybe he really isn't on your side. Maybe because of what you've done. You can't really count on him being on your team. I think that some of those same tactics are used even today. It's very easy to hear that voice of doubt. We begin to feel that maybe our relationship with God isn't that great. Maybe we feel, even as we come into worship service, we feel at times like a fraud. Because we, we know what we've done. Maybe, maybe we, we can think back to something we did this past week, this past year, five years ago, ten years ago, where we were absolutely ashamed. And that guilt begins to press and begins to press even more. Maybe we think we don't really amount to much anyway. Maybe we're reminded of our past mistakes and it has this cumulative effect of working on our hearts. And we begin to process like, well, maybe, maybe God isn't really caring much about me because of what I've done. Don't be ignorant. This is the way, this is the way the enemy works. This is where our heart can easily go. And if you experience that, you need a heavy dose of Romans chapter 8. You need a heavy dose of there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You need to be reminded of Romans 8.31. If God didn't hold back his only son, but gave us Jesus, we are in God's good graces. If we are in Christ, we are in God's good graces. That's why later on in the chapter it say, if God's for us, then who could be against us? And we know God's for us because, because of Jesus. Because of what he's done for us. That's why Paul could finish that chapter in Romans 8 and he could say, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So if a tactic is like maybe, yeah, maybe God isn't so much on your good side and you aren't on God's good side, then let the truth permeate our lives that we are in Christ. 
There's another tactic even in this chapter. It it takes on a different dimension. In in verse 13, Sennacherib through the, the messenger says, Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the other lands? So, question, were the gods of the nations of those lands? Were they able to deliver their lands out of my hand? No. Who among all the gods of those nations that my fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand? That your God should be able to deliver you from my hand. Now therefore, don't let Hezekiah deceive you, mislead you in this fashion. Don't believe him, for no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand, from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? And his servants said still more against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah and, and wrote letters. So now we've got a media campaign. Wrote letters to cast contempt on the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against him, saying, well, just like the gods of the na- nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah, he won't deliver his people either. And the volume increases. They shout it with a loud voice in the language of Judah. In, in case there's no, you know, no translation issues here, we're going to shout it loud in your own language so all the people will know. This is what's going on. And they did it to frighten and terrify them in order that they might take the city. And they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the people of of the earth, which are the works of men's hands. So here it's not not just like maybe you aren't really in God's graces. Here it it, it twists, doesn't it? And the twist is maybe maybe Hezekiah, you should take a good look at history. Because like three times... Sennacherib mentions my fathers. This is just the way history rolls. My fathers defeat other gods. And if you look in verse 13 and verse 14 and verse 15 and verse 17, Sennacherib is going to say, like, no one's delivering you out of my hand. And he says it again and again, my hand. It's my hand, my strength. You're not getting out. Take a look at history, and, and, and the issue isn't like maybe your relationship with God isn't so great. Now, now it's changed. Maybe your God isn't so great. Maybe your God can't handle this. Do you sometimes experience like voices of doubt? Like wondering, like is it true? Like is God on my side? I honestly would be shocked if there was a Christian in the room that has walked with God any amount of time that didn't have some voices of doubt. Like, can God do this? Does God care? And if you have those voices of doubt, you're in the company of David. You're in the company of Job. You're in the company of Jeremiah, who all had to cry out to the Lord and work very hard to hold on to their faith. That may be the struggle you experienced this morning. Or the one you'll experience in three months from now? Am I going to believe that God really does care? And am I really going to believe he's great? The tactics that come against us, they're not fair, they're not true, and they are brutal. And it's hard to sustain our faith. We need each other for this. We need to even come into this room and sing songs like, Oh my God, you will not delay my refuge and strength always. I will not fear. We need to remind ourselves of that. I love how Hezekiah responds. Look at verse 20. So Hezekiah the king, he grabs Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, 
They prayed because of this. They cried to heaven. Just take time to savor here what the Lord does. The Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. And in an honor-shame culture, he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his little G.O.D., some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. I just want you to notice the wording here. Every word's inspired. Notice the wording of verse 22. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And then notice how it's worded here. From the hand of of Sennacherib. He was so proud of his hand, like nobody's going to deliver you out of my hand. Oh, the Lord did. Delivered from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all his enemies, provided for them on every side, and many brought gifts to the Lord to Jerusalem and precious things to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations from that time onward. You know what I learned from this? I learned that I have to, you have to actively apply what you know to be true about God to your desperate situation. It's not enough to know it. That's why I say actively apply what you know to be true about God. What you know he's shown you in the light. Don't doubt it in the dark. They prayed. And when we pray, we call to mind something. I mean, Unless we're just talking in thin air, we've, we call to mind, even as we pray, we call to mind, God, you're present. You're, you're, you see this. You know this. You hear this. You're not distant. You're not running Mars right now. And you don't have time for North America. You, you know what's going on. You know what's going on in my own heart. You know what's going on in my troubled soul. You know what's going on in my crazy mind that I'm just about to lose it. You know what's going on. You, you call to mind God's present. You call to mind that God cares. He's good. He's, he's not destroying our lives. He's, he's building us up. We call to mind in our prayers, God is wise. In the end, he will use this in ways that bring us to the best possible end. In the end, once again, God proves victorious. I came across a series of statements, i say several years ago, by a British pastor named Tim, Ch- Tim Chester. I think helpfully apply what I'm talking about. I just want us to look at those for a moment. Because I think they apply to Hezekiah's life, and I think they apply to our lives as well. I wonder how much of my life would be better off if I remembered these kinds of truths. Hezekiah, you can know. This This is what you know to be true about God, so now apply it to your life. You know that God is great, so you don't have to be in control. And quite frankly, Hezekiah probably felt much out of control. You don't have to worry about that because God is in control. And God is gracious Hezekiah isn't having to try to earn his salvation or prove himself. God has shown his grace. And God is glorious. We don't have to fear the war. We don't have to fear the storm. Our help is on the way. God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. And God is good, so we don't have to look like, well, if God isn't going to do it, maybe I need to look here or there or take matters into my own hands. How do these apply to Hezekiah? How do they apply to you? Where are you on these? Someone labeled them like the four G's. Where where are you on these? 
Where is your heart on this? All of this is really talking about how we think about God. Do we have the right perspective of God? God, not just like the self-empowerment God, the God that tells us, just believe in yourselves and it'll all work out. Not that God, this kind of God. Not the God who is like ServPro. Do you know of ServPro? So ServPro, I hope you don't know of ServPro because what they do is when there's a mess, there's a flood, there's a fire, there's damage, they come in and help you get your house back in order. They clean up the mess. And kind of their motto is we let you take control back of your lives. You take back the control and now you can run your life. And do 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 we kind of function as God in that way? Not, Not this kind of God, but the God that just kind of cleans up the mess. Thanks, Lord. Now I can take back control of my life. And I'll call you if I need you again. This is a different kind of God. Who's gracious and great and glorious and good. See, this is the God who, do we know him? The God who who rules even as we run, even as we rebel. The God who loves us even when we're in our sin. The God who sends Jesus Christ for us. And does what we can't do for ourselves. Like save ourselves. Rescue ourselves from destruction. The God who sends his son and and Jesus lives the perfect life, the life we should have lived, but we don't. And he dies the death we should have died. This is the God. This is the God we worship. The God who takes the punishment for our sins on himself and rising from the dead and, and power over sin and over death, the God who then commands us to turn from everything else you're trusting in and to trust in him alone and then to follow him, uh, a walk of obedience. And then the God who changes us from the inside out, goes to work on our hearts and on our lives. This is the God we need to know. And this is the, the truth about God we need to apply to our lives. What do you do? What do you do when you face the daunting, the distressing circumstance Well, you face it. You face the struggle knowing that God loves you and that God cares for you. And you do exactly what Hezekiah does. You cry to the Lord. You make your request known to him. You cast all your cares on him. He cares for you. And you take confidence that he sees and he hears and he's working for your good. Can I ask us just for a moment to bow our heads and And think about what we've heard. Ask God to help cement this because it's one thing to hear it, but now we need him to do a work of faith in our hearts where we believe it. We believe it. Father, give grace in this moment for lots of things that you might be laying on our hearts. Where we're fearful, give us courage. Where we're ashamed, give us freedom from guilt and condemnation. Where we doubt you, give us reminders of your goodness. All in all, be patient with this, Lord, so that we can sit, reach out by faith and say, it it's well with my soul. It's okay. God's in control. 
Thank you for the words that we've read this morning. Instill them in a deeper way in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.